Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to another episode of The Ranking, the magazine slash podcast crossover in which four Empire writers get together to argue the toss about a director, an actor or a series of films and then come up with the empirical top 10. This one is dedicated to one of the most famous and greatest directors of all time, Alfred Hitchcock. That was an Alfred Hitchcock impression. I shouldn't have attempted it. Let's move on. Two things of note about this episode. One, it's on time-ish, which is rare, I know. There are more ranking episodes to come, and those right soon, including our mega Marvel Cinematic Universe two-parter. Second thing of note... I don't host this one. I was away when we recorded it. In fact, I'm away right now. I'm recording this in a hotel room in Dublin. But back then, I was being chased around a cornfield by a biplane. So Ian Freer stepped capably into the breach and commanded an esteemed panel of Hitchcock experts, Nick DeSemlian, Beth Webb and Neil Alcock. So this is essentially an intro to Ian's intro or an intro if you will, just so you know what's happening. You could probably point out the bits where I would have made a knob gag in favour of actually saying something worthwhile. So feel free to shout along at home. Right, I think that's pretty much it. Wouldn't want to keep the suspense building. That's Hitchcock's job. And if you're wondering about my own personal Hitchcock ranking, then I'd have to say my favourite is North by Northwest, closely followed by that bloke from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Right, that's enough for me. Here is Ian Freer. Enjoy. So uh, Chris Hewitt has been accused of a crime he didn't commit and has gone on the lam with a mysterious blonde. So it's up to us to decide the top ten greatest movies of Alfred Hitchcock. So joining me to do that is Beth Webb. Beth, how are you doing? I'm very well, you. I've got uh, Neil Alcock, who is writing a book about Alfred Hitchcock. Not right now, I should point out. No. My, my concentration is 100% on this. And what's the theme of your book? What's the, the, it's the the Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um, it's... Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't had to pitch it before. I, I pitched it to Beth in reception just now, and I, I don't know if I did a very good job. It's an accessible introduction to Hitchcock and an entertaining companion for fans. And when's it out? I hope. Oh, God. <laughs> About ten years from now. Okay. I don't know. It's in very early stages. Is there a startling uh, shock twist halfway through? I can't tell you that, can it I? turns into a different book. If I t- yeah, Ooh, it, yes, that's, that's what happens. Okay. Mm. And Nick Dissemblin, are you writing a book oh about... Oh boy, I'm working on my Cary Grant impression, that's, that's what that's I'm doing. I, I am not writing a book about Hitchcock, um, but I'm looking forward to Neil's. I've got some books on, I've got several books on Hitchcock. Great. That I should probably have read before this. That's a good shout, yeah. But um, I've got some good, uh, some good facts, which I'll drop throughout this. Okay, so when did you first discover Alfred Hitchcock? Um, probably, probably just before university. I wrote a really pretentious uh, thesis on Hitchcock. Okay, what was, what was the title of it? Uh, I've got it here, I've just pulled it up. Go for it. <clears throat> the title was uh, Analyzing the Role of Genre in Hitchcock Texts of My Choice. It's a, it's a grabber. You're not allowed to use that for your, your <laughs> <book> title. <laughs> the exact title I was going for. And I, it's, it's, it's really tedious. Okay. It's, it uses, yeah. So I, you, you knew his reputation, before you saw any of the films, you knew about his reputation and you knew him? And yeah. yeah. You know, he works in the one genre, so he's quite easy to get a handle on. He's the thriller guy. Right. That's what, they, that's what they called him, the master of thriller. Of thrilling. With an F, uh, thriller. They didn't call him that, but they should have. <laughs> and Beth, when did, you, when did you first get into Hitchcock? Well, uh, unwittingly, uh, for my AS uh, film studies, and then my dad, who is a film journalist as well, would try and, and push them on me from an early age, and being the, the teen rebel that I was, I pushed right back and <laughs> didn't Good watch call. them well because done. my dad said so. Right. And now I love him. Okay. Mostly. I love his films. We'll go into it. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Uh, and Neil, when, when was the first, what was the first Hitchcock film you saw? Uh, 
Vertigo, A-level film studies, uh, part of the syllabus was Hitchcock and I'd never watched anything before then and our lecturer showed us Vertigo and I am forever indebted to him for doing that because I immediately then went off and found every other Hitchcock film that I could and soaked them all up. Wow. I think I'm the only one who didn't study him here. I feel like a, I feel like a fraud here. <laughs> so I kind of uh, I got into him through obviously like, I was a fan of big movie brats in the seventies and mm. De Palma rips him off every film mm-hmm. and, and Spielberg's Golly Zoom Shot was was so Hitchcock was a name I was very familiar with. I think the first film I saw was Psycho yeah. in bits and pieces set pieces of Psycho. Uh, and what do we think then are, the, are these films about Neil? What do you think of the kind of the thematic preoccupations that kind of run through the work? Well, Hitchcock's interesting because he's got so many thematic preoccupations. He's he's interested in um, he's interested in marriage, which he thinks is f- uh, he, you get a very cynical impression of marriage from Hitchcock films. Yeah. He's interested in um, stuff like that, like the the wrong man, for example, is something that crops up in loads of his films. Yeah. He's interested in uh, mothers. He's interested in blondes. He's interested in dogs. <laughs> All yeah. of that stuff comes. Yeah. Trains. Maybe they're motifs. Yeah, trains. Dogs. There's more dogs than you think. Maybe they're more motifs than themes. Okay. Catholic yeah. guilt, I suppose, is yeah. a theme that crops up quite a bit. Yeah. So, like, one thing that runs throughout it is finding danger in like every possible situation. Like, even what seems to be, you know, the safest thing: staying in a hotel or you know, waiting around in a cornfield for a bus, mm. or yeah. <laughs> you know, being on a on a bus in London. That there's danger everywhere. Mm. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening to ordinary people, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Mm. I think. And Beth, for you, what are these films about? Paranoid white men, I would say. Wet, wet. Three of them All of you looking very shirty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I completely concur there. He's very, um, very skilled at kind of taking the things we imagine and making them seamlessly very real like the aesthetic between the the real and the imaginary are essentially exactly the same and that's terrifying and you know those kind of threats of, of things that you you never really consider like being in a cornfield where there's no cover in it yeah. a massive i mean <laughs> you know and, and you're not going to get a plane running at you with bullets in everyday <laughs> situations but the idea of being alone stranded with a very real threat and nowhere to run and hide is terrifying um as is marriage. So, you know, <laughs> every possible fear for, for anybody considered that. And, and Neil, Neil mentioned this kind of recurring figure of the mysterious blonde or the, the blonde. Well, how do you feel about his portrayal of women? What does that? I mean, it, it gets quite brutal um, in in some instances. I think one that's missing from my top 10, I don't know how it will fare overall, but I, I didn't include the birds in the end because I just think that the, the lengths that he went to in order to get that that real fear of um, of of a very real set of beasts sort of befalling this. So this are we talking about woman. the making of? About the how, making how of, it, yeah. Right? yeah. I, I would recommend actually if, if uh, people haven't seen it already to watch The Girl, which was a, a BBC drama that um, yeah. came out in 2012 and it had Sienna Miller as Tippi Hedren and um, Toby Jones playing Hitchcock. And I think that was the most realistic portrayal of him, of him as, as a, a bit of a monster, to be honest, and, and how he treated her and, and the lengths that he went to, um, not just to get the, the shots, but because he was obviously in love with her in, in real life as well, getting her handwriting analysed and having her tailed. And, and um, so 
I, I sort of draw a line of the lengths that he went to in in that respect. But yeah, he, he certainly put him on a pedestal. They're, they're certainly idolised and, and punished in every single... Yeah. Uh, there's a great quote, actually, that I found. Uh, Badisha, who is a, a journalist for The Guardian, and she said, um, there's the vamp, the tramp, the snitch, the witch, <laughs> the slink, the double-crosser, and best of all, the demon mummy. But don't worry, they all get punished in the end. And I thought that was quite wonderful. Yeah. Also, um, anyway, they're, also they're, they're kind of films about voyeurism, in a way. A lot of the films... There's loads that, of that, yeah. Yeah. His very first film, The Pleasure Garden, opens with voyeurism immediately. It's got uh, some chorus girls come down some stairs and then they, they start dancing on stage and then you get this old, dirty, sweaty old geezer in the front row who lifts up his opera glasses to get a better look of, at their legs and you, you get the shot through the opera glasses at the legs. So that's immediately, you know that that's what you're going to get with Hitchcock from the word go. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, point of view, reverse shot, reverse shot, isn't it? Yeah. Where you're in your incriminated into the voyeurism as a viewer, aren't you? You're kind of, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. Most classical, I suppose, in Psycho, when Anthony Perkins is looking through the hole in the wall. Yeah. Uh, Janet Lee in the shower. Yeah, I always was, just did that scene with Arbogast going up the stairs, where the, he's walking up the stairs, we watch him walking up the stairs, then we see what he's walking up the stairs towards, and it's that kind of thing. He's, he's always doing that. Yeah. So it's MacGuffins, like, did he kind of create the MacGuffin or popularise it? He's he's most known for them, isn't he? That's the name that instantly springs to mind when you hear that very funny sounding word. Yeah, so they obviously they, they exist in films before mm. him, but mm. I guess he, the phrase comes from him. Mm. Uh, and the MacGuffin is the thing that kicks off the plot, whatever it is, be it a microfilm or, mm. or a suitcase or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, it's not really a theme, but... It's yeah. a motif, it's, it's a yeah. motif. Yeah. yeah. And what's the best Hitchcock MacGuffin? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> I, I like the ones where it's the title of the film. Like in mm. the 39 Steps, the MacGuffin is the 39 Steps, which is like <laughs> yeah. a spy ring. Yeah. It's not nothing to do with stairs. Yeah. Or Topaz, which is a, which uh, is another spy ring. <laughs> Stuff like that where you just think it's been staring you in the face the whole time and you didn't realise. Yeah. And what, what are the, Nick, what are the Hitchcock set pieces and moments that stick in your head? Oh boy. Uh, well, the birds, which Beth was just talking about. I mean, I, obviously the way it was created it was not necessarily the best way, but it, it, it's one of my favourite Hitchcock films. And, and that scene where the birds are appearing on the wires is just yeah. so incredible. Um, the bit in the wine cellar in Notorious yeah. is just amazing. It's so iconic. The biplane. I just did yeah. people see that at the, the recent BFI reissue? Of Nick that. and I went together. We did. Oh, Front row. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was quite a hot day. Yeah. But also, yeah. that film is quite a funny film. It's got a lot of laughs in that film. Yeah, you forget about, don't you? Mm. Well, in the sequence that Nick's talking about, the audience they were kind of really tense, weren't they? Even in this day and age, they were really going for it. And then when the bottle smashed, they everybody kind of laughed. There was that release. Yeah, Hitchcock was really into that. Yeah. yeah. Is that fantastic shot of the key? She's holding the key in her yeah. hand, doesn't mm. it? And it kind of starts from the top and goes down. Yeah. But it's the it's the plane sequence in North by Northwest, isn't it? I just saw Charlie Varick, the uh, the seventies movie, uh, the other week and it ends with basically a rip off of that. But there's been tons of films, haven't there, that have that have yeah. kind of ripped that off. Someone yeah. waiting in the middle of nowhere and then something comes along. But that's just amazing that sequence. Yeah, and I guess the shower sequence. Oh yeah. Is the one that's yeah. Yeah, and Beth, you. What are the moments that stick out for you? I love the opening to um, Rear Window. 
what a what an incredible establishing shot that is! Like yeah. to pan across the entire of that that um, sort of looking out across the the the, the neighbourhood certainly, and then it just sort of swivels around across this apartment and just lands on James Stewart's sweaty forehead. <laughs> it's a lot of sweat. So yeah. gross. That's a, that's a thing. Like he's drenched yeah. and in his yeah. pajamas. Like it shouldn't be becoming, but it is. Yeah. And uh, I just I'm I'm obsessed with it, and I also really really enjoyed Riversting uh, Rope and and all yeah. of the setup okay. for that. The whole yeah. film is yeah. 17 <laughs> <laughs> basically the same film but also because obviously I've just seen Knives Out and uh, there's so much of Benoit Blanc that you can see in James Stewart in that film mm. um, and just the entire way that that is, that is staged I'll talk about it more later but but the whole orchestration of that of that film is just so shambolic but also so accomplished it's really weird it shouldn't work but it, but it absolutely does yeah. you mentioned Red Window I love the introduction of Grace Kelly into the rear window where she opens, she's turning on lights mm. as she says her name, Lisa Carol Freeman. Yes. Terrific, so good. Yeah. That kiss as well where she leans in in yeah. slightly that's, slow motion. That's the best kiss in movies, amazing. isn't it? That yeah. bustle as well, yeah. she, she owns it. <laughs> <laughs> Notorious got a pretty good kiss. It's the one where they were kind of breaking the, the Hays Code by yeah. repeated smooches. Oof. Yeah. Oof. And Racy Neil, stuff. Neil, what are, the, what are the, the set pieces and sequences that you think... I'd like to pick a slightly deep cut, which Ooh. is there's like a 15-minute sequence in Foreign Correspondent, okay, which is, takes place in Amsterdam, and it starts uh, with the assassination of a, of a diplomat on the steps of a kind of conference hall. And you'll know the sequence because it's the one where it's shot from overhead with all the umbrellas. umbrellas it's yeah. raining, yeah. yeah. And then that sequence kind of barrels on into this car chase which then becomes a foot chase into a windmill. And then there's this incredible sequence in a windmill. There's a load of nonsense going on in there, which I won't spoil, but it's about 15 minutes of just constant great stuff. And I think it would be a brilliant, just a great wedge of film to show to people to say, this is what Hitchcock does. This is what film does, yeah. And how, how do we feel about the kind of the reputation of Hitchcock? I get the sense that there's a feeling that he's so in the sort of fabric of film that he's, over, he's taken for granted in a way. I think there's a sense that Tarantino's got this phrase that Hitchcock is film buff 101, that you're better to like the cooler exploitation Italian directors rather than Hitchcock, who's this venerated figure. Do you think he's kind of been lost, lost people not as, as wild about Hitchcock as they used to be? He gets rediscovered every now and again. And like the BFI did a great season of his stuff in 2012. And maybe it's like every 10 years or so, it, it kind of comes back and people suddenly remember that it's a thing that exists and, and people really get into it but I think anyone who's a film buff should be aware of Hitchcock and should be properly yeah. you know oh, vastly significant I like that I go back to his work and, and I I treat it different every time to revisit it this time I found a lot of his work so much funnier maybe unintentionally so sometimes but so much, so much funnier than, than I did when I was growing up and I, I had to study it to, to come back and enjoy it and talk about it in this way it, it was glorious and what struck you as being un- unintentionally funny well, maybe it was supposed to be. I think I took it a lot more seriously when I was younger because <laughs> uh, I felt like I needed to impress people with like my knowledge of Hitchcock. But coming back to it now, I'm like, oh, rape is hysterical. Just the way that they execute the premise of it. Like, oh, we killed a man and all his family are coming to dinner. <laughs> Let's eat on the, the box that he's in. I just think that's glorious and so yeah. funny. And they're so elite and so clearly a couple as well, which I completely missed the first time. And to come back to it this time, I, I had a lot more fun, I think, revisiting it this time than I would have done. Yeah. It's definitely it's definitely first date stuff, isn't it, with Hitchcock, where you just really want to show that you, you know your stuff. Because <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I generally think there's an argument, a strongest argument, that it's the greatest body of work in film history. Yeah. 
if you look, maybe Bergman, maybe Kurosawa, but this, been, in terms of ranking the films, yeah, in terms of coming up with a top ten, so this has hard. been the hardest yeah, because absolutely. I've left out like yeah. at least eight or nine films that I really, really like. I was saying to Neil, I'm still not sure with it to be yeah. honest I'm, I'm looking back at it now and I'm like no but I've had to just make peace with it you've just yeah. got to walk yeah. away sometimes but there's so much, there's so much in, his, in his work there's so many different tones you know who else does you know a comedy like To Catch a Thief and then does Vertigo like Vertigo I think is you know, not to spoil it but I think it's his best film but it's I've seen that film like 10 times and you still can't really get a grip on it it's so kind of elusive mm. but then he does you know, adventure films like North by Northwest there's just so much so I, I think it's hard to ever get bored of him even though people kind of write him off as being the thriller guy yeah. which is what you said right at the beginning of this podcast <laughs> well, you wrote him off <laughs> straight away <laughs> I've changed my mind let me shock you uh, but talking of unintentionally funny his, uh, his stripy sh- uh, Cary Grant stripy shirt in uh, To Catch a Thief yeah. That's not necessarily dated well. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of metaphors for sex that haven't dated well, isn't there? There's got trains going into oh tunnels and God. fireworks. <laughs> fireworks into Catafield. It's got very iconic uh, car rides with, with him and... Uh, What's the name of the Grace Kelly? Yeah, Grace yeah. Kelly. Which yeah. you see that there's so many. I think it's one of the Mission Impossible's Mission Impossible Two, maybe. Uh, kind of references that, but it's just even now watching films coming out now, you can go. That's that's from that Hitchcock film. That's from that. They're still so homaged. Yeah. yeah. The other thing, he also kind of it's fair to say he invented the director as superstar. I think before Steven Spielberg, if you ask anyone to name a film director, I'd say Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, he's very interested yeah. in his own brand, wasn't he? He wanted to yeah. really push himself. Hence all the trailers that he appeared in and, and the profile of himself that he designed and, yeah and TV shows and yeah. stuff, lots of TV show work isn't there and he mentioned the idea that directors wear suits <laughs> Christopher Nolan would be in jeans and a t-shirt this this notion this that he's the master of suspense is that limiting do we think is that is there much more to Hitchcock than that Neil there's definitely more to him um, he was very good at melodrama and he's very good at comedy, like not flat out comedy. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, for example, is a is a, a straight up comedy, and it's terrible. It's not funny, I don't think at all. You're looking at me like I've, I've said something really good. Uh, but you know, the comedy within his films is, is great. Um, in terms of being the master of suspense, I suspect he's probably been surpassed now because audience uh, audiences have changed and the times have changed. But you know, he really made it his own, and he really. He was definitely the master of it while he was doing it. And there's stuff that's still... Like the, the wine bottle sequence in Notorious yeah. mm. is just incredibly suspenseful. And there's the... Um, do you know Sabotage, the very early one where... Yeah, the um, bomb. The boy's on the bus with the bomb. Uh, that is incredibly <laughs> suspenseful. Suspenseful, yeah. I can say it. And no, yeah. who, who do we think is, is the, the heir to Hitchcock? Who's the film? Who's Ooh. the filmmaker who's making... Who directed Disturbia? Um... <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. DJ Caruso. Yeah. DJ Caruso. Uh, who's the master of suspense? I don't know that there's a master of suspense now. Fincher no. is good at it in Seven, for example. Yeah. But I, it's not something that is across his whole career like it yeah. was for Hitchcock. Yeah. He's one of the most, Hitchcock is one of the most copied directors, isn't he? Like, just in terms of moments and shots and parody, the amount of shower scene parodies there's tons <laughs> yeah. of them aren't there that's probably how I became most familiar with his work it's just it's just through growing up through the films that and the, the TV shows that referenced and parodied his work more than the actual work itself because I so furiously rebelled against my dad <laughs> 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 okay let's talk about the um, some of the actors who've worked with who mm. 
Who do we, when you think of a, the Hitchcock man, who do you think of? Do you think of Grant? Do you think of Stuart? Who do we think of? Beth? Stuart, hands down. Yeah. Cary Grant, I, f- I find to be fairly ridiculous. <laughs> 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 Cary Grant is a, is a walking sunglasses advert. Um, he, he, he's certainly very suave and, and very becoming. And Neil, I suspect you probably like him because he's, he's quite Bond, I suspect, like mm. in his characteristics. But give me a neurotic, rambly man with a little bit of a paunch, like in rear window, he's got a little belly on him. He's not a, a cut-out leading man. Um, he's he's very charming, but not dashing necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but also, he can be this like blue-eyed beanpole in in Vertigo. Like he really can look quite deranged, very yeah. believably. So so it's it's Stuart all the way for me. Basically, because I think when people think of Stuart, they think of an all-American hero and and a small-town guy. And and Hitchcock did interesting things. Yeah, he was very interested in casting him against type in Rope and Vertigo. Yeah, um, and I. I love uh, Stuart and Grant equally. I think Cary Grant is a bit. Uh, you're right; he's a bit of a clothes horse, but you know he wears <laughs> suits like nobody. Um, <laughs> it is no, a skill. <laughs> um, and suspicion is uh, that's the Cary Grant kind of doing the bad guy thing. Am I right? Yeah, it's well. You're not quite sure throughout the whole film whether yeah. he's, whether he's guilty. Uh, or yeah, I don't whether, think yeah. you guys are being fair to Cary. No, I love Cary. Um, I don't oh. mind him. He's just. He's just. He just makes me laugh oh. again quite unintentionally, and I don't. I don't know, in charade, just that pitter-patter chatter with Audrey Hepburn. It's so, I don't know what happened there. It's so forced and, and, and odd. And, and I don't know, James Stewart, James Stewart. <laughs> I'm a Kerry guy. I'm going with Kerry. Great chin. He can pull off a jaunty, stripey uh, cat burglar outfit. Yes. Yeah. That's all you need. And You've yeah. both gone for clothes over character for this, I will, I will say. Not everyone can wear that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm, I'm with his women, Edith Head directed, uh, created a lot of the costumes for his women. And, and who, who do we think of when we think of uh, Hitchcock's women? It's Grace Kelly, isn't it? It was always it's Grace, Grace Kelly. Yeah. That she yeah. wears clothes. I, I'm stepping in now to see that the clothes there are phenomenal. The clothes in Real Window, like I say, yeah. that, that beautiful skirt piece that she wears, yeah. um, oh, just an absolute dream. And she moves like she's made out of water she's just she's just so elusive and, and magnetic I, I adore her yeah and then she has an iciness doesn't she that, that I guess all of them do but even more than some of the, some of the other ones I think yes that's the thing isn't it in Hitchcock uh, Tippi Hedren has it and um, I, I don't know I don't know about Grace Kelly There's, it's on the surface but it's not very deep I think she's quite warm and lovely underneath she's right. got a real charm to her again in, in Real Window and, and it's so infuriating to see how they they can't be together in the first instance when she so desperately wants it it's yeah yeah kim novak underrated i would say <laughs> yeah uh yeah and i tippy hedron i think she's amazing in the birds mm. she's absolutely amazing yeah she deserves she whatever lengths like they went to to get that performance <laughs> yeah. it's you know it's ridiculously good i'm gonna give a shout out then to eve marie song from north oh, by northwest yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, that classic ending where she gets pulled up onto the there's a one of the best, biggest jump cuts in history, isn't it? Where she pulls, gets pulled up onto the train. On the train. Yeah. Straight That's into a, marriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of trains in Hitchcock as well, aren't there? There's, yeah, she likes trains. It's strange. Just like a train. Yeah, strange on a train. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Lady Vanishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which in, which for me is, is one of the, probably the, along with Take Nine Steps, is the best films of his kind of British period. period. That's yeah, definitely. Fair, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, the flight plan, talking of things, which kind of rip off Hitchcock. Yeah. That Jodie Foster film, flight plan, was kind of Lady Vanishes on a plane. But yeah, we were talking about it before. It's a really underrated one, um, yeah. Lady Vanishes. And what do we think about the Beth? And Beth touched on this earlier about the methods that Hitchcock uses 
to there's this famous quote about he think, treated actors as cattle. Is that do we do we know stories about that? Do we think that's true? I mean, especially with the, I mean, coming back to it with the women, but he was um, obsessive, wasn't he? You can certainly see that bleeding into his films. Um, like he didn't forgive Grace Kelly when she left to um, yeah. get married. That was that was a, like a crushing blow to him, and obviously with Tibby Hedren as well. Um, Vera Miles as well. He was obsessed with her, and then she got pregnant, so he was very angry about that. That was the name I'd forgotten. So thank Sorry. you, Neil. <laughs> 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 but definitely in, in terms of that. Um, and forgive my was he married to Alma Revel through this whole period? Yeah, he married yeah. her really early on and stayed with her forever. Right. She was probably one of the most patient women in Hollywood. Yeah. Mm. She was his continuity script, yeah, script she did. person. Yeah, and, uh, but all around kind of collaborator. She did a lot yeah. of editing. long sufferer. She did a lot of editing for him in the early days and she was, she was an assistant throughout the whole time and she would always have the last say. The final cut essentially was with her. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's she was an amazing woman who hasn't really been recognised enough. I don't think. Yeah, mm. that's interesting because you think he tends to get painted as an auteur, but there's a constant team behind him that are doing all the work. It's Bernard Herman, composer, George Tomasini as editor. There's a mm. lot of same creative collaborators turn yeah. up, don't they? Edith Head, as you said, yeah. is such a huge part of the Hitchcock brand as well. Yeah, best costume in a Hitchcock film, not counting the stripy shirt. I don't know. I there's. There's a whole mythology around Cary Grant's grey suit in North yeah. by Northwest. Oh, I want to hear this. There's essays about this. Well, oh, yeah, right. I, I'm not going to bang on about it because I think what's more interesting is that he wears these yellow boxer shorts underneath his suit, which don't get changed over the course of this. <laughs> yeah. The story takes four days. <laughs> wow. They were white to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cary. <laughs> um, Kim Novaki and Vertigo got to us. I mean, the suit is obviously iconic. Yeah. And the way that it's lit as well when uh, the, the green comes down and she looks really ethereal, like that's that's pretty boss, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, that film. Just the the the, just the the visual filmmaking in that film where there's there's whole sort of stretches of it where there's no dialogue. It's just driving around with mm. a very mm. funny review on Amazon about how boring it is. <laughs> 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 Middle-aged man driving around San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that comes from his silent days, doesn't it? Because he, yeah. he totally mastered the art of visual storytelling in his first kind of nine or ten films, yeah. silent films, and then just kind of drop that in every now and again in his sound period I yeah think. and if you were going to pick one silent film to see the lodger is the one that resonates with the rest of his career isn't it is that fair? yeah the lodger is the one that so that was his third film that he made yeah. and uh, in his famous interviews with francois truffaut he said that it was kind of the first proper hitchcock film and all the themes are there if you watch it now you'll recognize everything as being hitchcock but it's it's incredibly uh suspenseful it's funny it's got great touches like um in kind of getting around the fact that it's a silent film, there's a shot where the lodger is upstairs in a house kind of pacing the bedroom and the landlady is downstairs looking up at the ceiling. And then so you see her point of view of the ceiling and it dissolves into a glass ceiling. So you can see the lodger walking backwards and forwards. So you understand that that's what she's looking at. And, you know, he's there's so much kind of character and motivation coming through that, which is not in any way to do with dialogue. And what's what year is that? That's in the 20s, is it? Uh, It's about 1926, 27. Yeah. And there's also different sorts of films in that period. There's comedies, aren't there, like The Farmer's Wife and boxing films like The Ring. The, the, and he was churning them out as well. I mean, he was making yeah. them making God, them it's exhausting. Looking at his exhausting. IMDb page, you're like, what? Yeah. This guy ever have a holiday? 12 films yeah. in two months? How? Like, yeah. It's a different, such a different era, isn't it? Yeah. But also, 
exhausting for everybody involved. Like that can't have been. That must have been like hard labour. There's no way that that would have been an enjoyable experience for anybody. Like, I don't think he was a Fincher type. I don't think he was someone who did lots and lots of takes. I think he. Yeah, he banged them out. Yeah, he banged them out <laughs> and then went off for dinner. Like, I think he liked to be home at six for dinner in the start of it. But. I guess the other thing, interesting thing about his, his silent career is that a lot of it was spent in Germany watching like film directors like Fritz Lang and Murnau and there's a certain sense of German expressionism in the films in terms of kind of long shadows and, and interesting stuff. A lot of craft. gothic kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that in Psycho, but Rebecca as well is a really great melodrama, kind of gothic-y melodrama. Yeah. With a, he's great at spooky houses and just yeah. giving a real sense of, of kind of atmosphere with a location. Um, I love that. That was Hollywood, his first American film as well, and it's it's supposed to be Cornwall. <laughs> I just yeah. think that's, yeah. that's wild. That was his big break, and it's a... A, a, a Hollywood interpretation of, of Cornwall. <laughs> it's just, uh, it blows my mind. That was him and uh, David Selznick. And yeah, I was reading uh, about the making of that recently and they had a t- hard time making that. Hated him, of, didn't he? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't get on and there was a lot of screaming and, and cutting. It was just interesting how much the film was changing and then I think it's great. Mm. Looking forward to the Ben Wheatley one. Yes, you see, Daphne du Maurier wasn't very happy with it, I seem to remember as right. well. Um, and Hitchcock had a very, very different idea of how the film was going to be, and then the, the producer came and, and bought it background. And then I think Hitchcock held a grudge, and, and there's a character in one of the films, maybe Rope, that's based on him, I think. I need to go back and look through it. Maybe this will get cut. But it was quite funny how I think it's someone that gets murdered in one of his films is based on that producer. Exciting. That's right. Yeah, and he was he was horrible to Joan Fontaine, another actress, in the during the making of that. Yeah. He was terrorizing her. Didn't think she was very good. He's a git, basically. He's a a git. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we laugh. (laughs) If you were making films these days, this this. I was trying to think if there's anyone like David O. Russell, maybe that kind of kind of. Yeah, Michael Bay has some some of those elements of being. But uh, quite glad we've kind of stepped out of that era. Yeah. Um, But yes. Yeah. Okay. um, Final couple of things. Do we have a favourite Hitchcock cameo? What's the most imaginative Hitchcock cameo? I like Strangers Ooh. on a Train where he's basically he's pushing this cello up onto the train that's just the, the perfect <laughs> replica of himself. It's like a blueprint of his physicality. Is it a cello or like a double bass? It's a huge yeah, instrument yeah, anyway. Yeah. And he's like shoving it up. Uh, and I like him as the uh, clock repairman in, in Rear Window. Yeah, yeah. That well, one's... Um, and what do we think the point... Well, was this about managing his brand? What was the point of these cameos, do we think? Megalomaniac, well, He started doing it just because he needed a body in the shot, didn't he? I think the first one is blackmail maybe where you just see his back because in a newsroom he just needed somebody to be there right. and he's, he's got another cameo in blackmail where he's sitting on a train and he's being harassed by these school children which is hilarious <laughs> um, and so he did that for a few films and then I think he just decided that it, it became, was almost like a good luck charm and became so a thing yeah yeah, yeah. Lifeboat is the one, isn't it? It's the weight loss. The weight loss ad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You> do so. <laughs> yeah. I know my mum was a fan of North by Northwest. Where he just I love that fell, one. He fell yeah. to catch the bus. That's great. Just, just before that. I think that's my it's favorite. not a cameo, but there's a great bit towards the end of North by Northwest where just before a gun goes off, you see a little boy in the scene put his hands in his hands. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a great little you know, yeah. flub. <laughs> and what would be, what do we think some of the, um, our, what are our favourite left field choices? Like, I... I don't say this is a good film, but there's a great scene in it, which is Torn Curtain, uh, which is a late 60s one with Paul Newman and Julie Andrews, yeah. I think. Ooh. And there's a great fight in it where it just proves how difficult it is to kill someone. Yeah. That's great. It's a terrible the, film. The rest of it... <laughs> the, 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 the film, but there's always good... And all, even the worst Hitchcock. That's right. There, there's really strong things in them. Is there anything good in Family Plot? Yeah, there's loads good in Family Plot. Is there? Yeah. 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 
Bruce Dern. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, it's yeah. a John Williams score. It's a very fun John Williams score. Really? William yes. Devane's teeth. <laughs> They're amazing. <laughs> they always are. They, they always the are. They never, yeah. <laughs> and Beth, what are some of the lesser ones for you? What are the ones that perhaps don't get the, the kind of love that you, you'd like them to get? So I'm not quite as well versed. I think as, as wacky as my choices get is rope again. I keep coming back to it, yeah. but rope... Um, I just I, I it didn't quite get as much recognition. It, it still astounds me that Vertigo didn't really get much recognition when it was released. I got some tepid reviews, but yeah, um, yeah I think Rope is, is about as wacky as mine gets. I'm afraid it's nothing quite as niche as, as okay. uh, these lads have put forward. But Nick, um, Nick yeah. and I were talking about Marnie. Uh, Marnie's Marnie. terrific. Yeah, there's a, there's a shot of a street. Where there's a great big um, lion, ocean liner looming up on it. It's kind of this kind of I don't know, map painting or map projection or something. Mm. It's amazing. And Sean Connery is terrific in Marnie. Mm. I'd agree with Beth that Rope is does not get um, the kudos it deserves. I loved okay. it. Yeah, I loved it. Again, I don't know if it's because I'm coming fresh off Knives Out and this just like real <laughs> revamp of love for this kind of murder mystery format. But I adored it. Absolutely adored it. And like I say, it's just patchy and, and clumsy. And sometimes like you really do see the camera. You see the person walking with the camera. It's not seamless at all, but it, it still seems so sophisticated in its execution. And, and James Stewart's just great. And yeah. it's hysterical. Yeah. Like, I, I'd love it. I love it. I it's will mention uh, Foreign Correspondent again in case you cut the first mention of <laughs> okay, it. I, think yeah. that's, like, <laughs> I, don't know why, I don't know why people don't talk about that more often. It's such a ripping yarn. Yeah. It's total great war thriller uh-huh. with hilarious action and adventure the other one that seems to have gone through a kind of a, a rediscovery is Frenzy there's a lot of love mm. for Frenzy these days which mm. I don't really get but it seems to have kind of it's got something. some grimy look to it it's, yeah. it's yeah, interesting because yeah it's it interesting he's London, doing something sorry. different yeah but it just feels like one of those grimy 70s films that's just quite unpleasant to look at it is bit, yeah. <laughs> but it captures a London that isn't there anymore which is which is thank god quite interesting <laughs> I mean, it's, but yeah it's got some funny stuff in it uh, for me it's like too it's Marnie which like Ian said it's just really great great Sean Connery performance I don't think a lot of people have seen it uh, really good use of the colour reds like someone who started with black and white and moved into colour like he really knows how to use colour and you know, lots of directors now kind of theme their films around different colours, and he does that really well in that. Uh, and then Spellbound, which is um, Hitchcock teaming up with Salvador Dali. And yeah, it's, how good! It, and it's, <laughs> it's a match made in heaven. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> totally insane and 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 not not that well known, but it's got some very trippy sort of the, the original Doctor Strange. Yeah. Amazing. And if, if if Neil's going to call back to foreign correspondent, I'm going to call back to Shadow of a Doubt, which is like David Lynch before then. Joseph David Cotton. Lynch, isn't it? It's just this kind of the underbelly of American life. Yeah, uh, that's, that's true. Joseph Cotton treating that. Again, it's one of my favourite Charlie is Joseph Cotton sitting at the table, and he just kind of turns his head ninety degrees, and the camera pushes into his face, and it's just I don't know. It's just exactly how to shoot your leading man's face. It's so evocative of all yeah. this creepy stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before we wrap up, is there anything anybody wanted to say about Hitchcock that they're dying to say that they haven't had a chance to say yet? Oh, he had yeah. a phobia of eggs. Oh, that was mine. I was just <laughs> yeah. about to say that. That's all I had. Yes. That was all I had. That was all I brought to this. Because you came gone. through with the colours. He had a phobia yeah. of eggs. He had a phobia yeah. because the, the egg whites had no visible holes in them. <laughs> what an odd man. And uh, he didn't like the, the yellow... Um, of the yolk he couldn't stand it he called it like repulsive it reminded him of Cary Grant's underpants <laughs> <laughs> just night sweats thinking about about that uh, so yeah big big old big old phobia of eggs <laughs> I got nothing else I got, I got nothing else you've got one thing about him uh, yeah he's a West Ham guy supported West Ham football club yeah yeah. So this is interesting to me because um, 
Well, I live in East London in Walthamstow, and there's a shopping centre that has a... The floor of the shopping centre uh, has sort of a, a walk of fame element, so there's um, plaques for famous people. And Hitchcock, who's born in Leytonstone, which isn't far from there, has mm. one. And he's next to Fleur East, who come about eighth in the X Factor one year. It seems like a, a strange what kind a of strange, yeah, a strange juxtaposition of, of what's considered great. Yeah. I actually found out I was doing some research on it, and and his first place of work at Islington Studios is ten minutes from my house, which is go. bonkers. I ran past it earlier, and and there's crows all in in the park, and they were up by it. It was it was very moody. I liked it, but yeah, that was nice. He um, doing title cards, I think it was in right. uh, Hoxton. Wow. Yeah. i got one more thing. Of course you have, Nick. Of course you have. Alfred Hitchcock never won an Oscar. No, he... Never yeah. won an Oscar. Oh, no, he, he was, won, given, he was he given an honorary one. one. Yeah. And he gave a very passive-aggressive acceptance speech. Oh, <laughs> Thank of you very much. You <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, he said, and then he wandered off. And this is about not being discovered until it was by the French, isn't it? Before the French New Wave directors and the Cahiers du Cinema... It's the kind of the yeah, and the Academy snobbery, which still goes on for thrillers and comedies, and you know that's why David Fincher doesn't win as many Oscars as he should have. Yeah, you know, any somebody knows anything about him as opposed to us three. Yeah, I can't. I mean, these are some great Hitch trivia, trivia nuggets that have come out, but I, I don't down. really have any Hitch trivia nuggets. But I like like I like the fact, for example, that Topaz has the best closing line of any film ever which is okay does anyone know it that's a big claim okay go on Bold go for it claim, i mean yeah. it's you have to understand it in context basically topaz was the spy ring as we mentioned earlier yeah. and the spy ring is defeated and the last line that anyone says is anyway that's the end of topaz <laughs> <laughs> and then topaz ends that's amazing <laughs> that is the best line yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you oversold it and then delivered, and then delivered. thank god for that yeah. <laughs> so guys i think that that's enough enough discussion we need to vote okay so uh, let's have a think and we'll be right back right. okay we're back i have the official empire ranking list of top 10 halford hitchcock films and at number 10 we have shadow of a doubt Mm. How do we feel about that? Is that too high? Should should it be on this at all? I didn't vote for that. I don't one. think I put it in my top ten. I do like it, but it's not my top That's, ten. It's down to me and you, then, Nick. I think I can't remember if, where I put it. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Sorry, <laughs> like bear, bear, with me, bear with me. I think it was quite high on mine. It's my eighteenth favorite Alfred. No, it, was, it wasn't on mine. It wasn't on mine. So it is. didn't make it. It would have been number eleven or twelve for me. Um, didn't make it on. That's all down for me then. You're the Cotton Club. I am. Hey, very good. Yeah, <laughs> Joseph Cotton plays Uncle Charlie. If people don't know, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, number eight. Who voted? No, sorry, number nine. Who, who voted for this? Rebecca. Oh, I yes. did. Rebecca Beth. We haven't talked about that much. Tell, tell us about the the joys of Rebecca. Uh, well, I think it's wonderfully cast. Um, I love the story anyway. I love Daphne Du Maurier's um, um, work, and this was his best adaptation. I thought, um, and it was just nice to see. A man not be quite so terrible yeah. uh, in this, and Laurence Olivier is is just a dashing, like hopelessly dashing in this film, like hypnotically so. And as we were saying earlier, this kind of gothic romance. Um, I think it's also what's the what's the meme, and it's like oh, the one that he told you not to worry about, and it's Rebecca <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> in a big way, and and. I mean, it's it's more dialogue-led and more story-led than, than perhaps his other films, but he still has his little flourishes there. Like, the final shot is gorgeous. And it's, it's again, I like that we can go back through his body of work and pick out so many different genres and, yeah. and takes and... and different, yeah, yeah, different feels. One of the most iconic Hitchcock baddies that's not a bird or a plane, uh, Mrs. Danvers. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Judith Anderson, the, the really creepy housemaid who's just skulking around this, this creepy house. And, that's uh, Kristen Scott Thomas in Ben Wheatley's, isn't it? That's going to be that's, delicious. Uh, that's a great Looking show. forward to yeah. that. Yeah. So at number eight, Rope. 
Yes. 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 <laughs> Neil, you're agreeing with this? That's, is that yeah, right? is it's that too, uh, too high, too low? Um, I would like to put it, it was my number two. Okay. Um, I would like to see it higher than that. But yeah, it's about the entitlement of the overprivileged and it, and therefore it kind of never gets old because that story is always <laughs> with us. And I think that it's... Jimmy Stewart's character is so fascinating because he's like, you think he's like the detective who's solving the crime. And then at the very end, you realize that he is almost responsible for what's happened because yeah. he's taught these brats to kind of behave in this way. And then he tries to kind of extricate himself from that dilemma. And it's just a fascinating thing to watch. It's the, his final speech is just incredible. That final, oh, yeah. when he fires the gun, and yeah. they're just that slow realization, yeah. and it's done. They've done it. He's done it. They're and off. It's one of those Hitchcock films where he makes you feel complicit as well. Like you know more than you should, and yeah. you're kind of in on it. And yeah, so you're watching, kind of feeling a bit queasy. But it's it's such a natural. Like there's just such arrogance in that film. It just feels so well suited to Hitchcock. That's such a, a story for him to be really drawn to. I think yeah. like the arrogance of having that corpse literally under the the tablecloth where these people are eating and i think it's fascinating that it's about some people who are trying to pull something ridiculous off just to see if they could which is exactly what hitchcock is doing when he's making the film he's trying to pull off this kind of single take thing yeah, yeah, yeah. just to see if he can i mean you just yeah. get the impression that he doesn't care he just go oh yeah i'll probably give that a go i'm <laughs> revisiting the single take thing how does that work does that feel yeah, I mean, it's not entirely successful, is it? What's, no. what's, quite, what's quite interesting about it is that there's there's about five so-called invisible cuts where the camera passes behind someone's back and then five so-called visible cuts where it's an actual traditional edit. But the the so-called invisible cuts are much, much more obvious than when he just cuts to a reverse shot. You don't notice that because it's just part of the grammar of cinema now. Number six, is that? Yeah, number six is the birds. Yeah. Um, that's my impression of a, an evil yeah. bird. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I love the birds so much that's at my number two, I think. Okay. Um, I just, for me, it's that coming back to what I was saying earlier about Hitchcock making the everyday terrifying and what's more everyday than birds, like just the concept of, uh, you know, these things that are all around you all the time that you don't really pay much attention to, suddenly all turning and having this collective intelligence and turning on you. And it's such a stupid idea. Um, you know, not everyone could have got it right, as Birdemic proves. Uh, but, <laughs> like, it's, it's, just, it's just brilliant. And the tone of it's great. It's funny, but it's genuinely quite and disturbing there's, as there's well. There's no explanation for the bird attack either. And the film puts forward a bunch of arguments that could be the reason, but they're all almost metatextual to the point of being ridiculous mm. it's another Daphne du Maurier kind of story so he didn't completely create it out of nothing but yeah. he he changes the book quite radically and sets it in America and yeah it's it's brilliant great number five Notorious that's a good show mm. Notorious is terrific yeah I mean it was my number five I mean, it's uh, it's a great kind of war thriller. It's uh, kind of a psychological thing. Uh, she's kind of in over her head. She doesn't know if she can trust him. Mm. It's beautifully shot. You're constantly scared for her because she's trapped in this house with these awful people. Yeah. The, mo the mother's hilarious, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. <laughs> My God, the mother's an absolute nightmare. But I'm, I wasn't scared for her. I think this is one of the more assertive of his kind of ingenues, which I really, really like. She gets some great lines as well. Um, things like, there's nothing like a love song to give you a good laugh. Like, she's so privy to it um, all. And I'm a big fan of a big fan of a strong ingenue. So next up at number five is Rear Window. What do we think about that? Uh, I would have thought it would be higher, although it isn't 
that high on my list. I put it number seven. I think I'm more impressed with the way it was made than the actual finished product. I just love the the set is amazing, like mm-hmm. Beth mentioned earlier. Um, I like that it's kind of it's a it's almost a film about making a film. James Stewart is piecing this thing together. He's almost editing it in his head, and he's got all these yeah. tiny little screens in front of him that are showing different bits of a story, stuff like that that I find really interesting. I love Stella in this film. Big up Stella. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't even supposed to be in the film. I love her so much. <laughs> like, just what a great secondary character. I feel like he really started to be more generous with the secondary characters as he kind of kind of progressed. But she got some great, you know, just oiling up James Stewart and, and <laughs> telling him to get married for the love of God. And then she, she becomes part of this, um, she gets really caught up in it. You know, she wants to get down there. She wants to get into the flower bed as well. Yeah. It's just like, where have you come from? <laughs> this is amazing. So so Stella is the, the unsung hero of this film, I think. Great, great. Yeah, it was my number seven. Uh, I like my Jimmy Stewart character's mobile. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, number four, that's quite surprising to me, it's quite high, 39 Steps. Ooh, that is brilliant. That was my four, actually, so I'm pleased with that. Right. It's my, my mum's favourite film. It's so much fun, oh. the 39 Steps. Yeah, it's great. It? It's the first kind of, like, he made about five or six versions of the 39 Steps over his career, and... I think Many steps is that total. I think North by Northwest is is a better version, but mm. it's as two kind of very separate films made at different ends of his career. It's uh, I just think it's incredible. It's such a roller coaster; it just doesn't let mm. up. There's a yeah. whole pe- uh, characters handcuffed together thing, which yeah. has been done yeah. a million times since. But yeah, it, that's brilliant. It's really hot as well. I guess it's hot as well. The bit with the with the sandwich and the leg. Yeah, <laughs> so fit. <laughs> hot sandwich action. <laughs> No, what's, what's the hottest Hitchcock film? Yeah, what is the hottest Hitchcock oh, film? Oh, it's Rear Window, definitely. Because it's yeah. literally oh. hot and sweaty. <laughs> that's very true. And that's yes. cheap. That kiss just makes everything hotter and sweaty. I'm sorry, it's James Stewart in his pyjamas. Fair enough. <laughs> Good Lord. Can't argue with that. <laughs> okay, uh, so we're into the top three now. Ooh. Number three, 28 points, Ooh. Psycho. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, this was my number one. How okay. good a director are you when Psycho's your number three? Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> ridic- that's ridiculous. So, Beth, what, 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 what do you love about Psycho? What's the- well, Janet Lee, for one, is just so cool. Like, she's so cool. She's for, until she steals the money, she's quite unflappable. She really knows what she wants. Yeah. And, um, I think of, of all his leading women, she actually get off, gets off the lightest, well, which considering she is murdered. Halfway through. Doesn't, <laughs> make, it, doesn't make it to the end credits. It's actually refreshing because yeah. she, you know, I mean, obviously it's very provocative. You first see her in her bra and it's very, that was, you know, a big yeah. hoo-ha. But she's very cool and um, very, can, can really hold her own amongst the boys. And, you know, for that kind of sleazy um, guy to come into the real estate agency and she just takes the money, I think is just... Yeah. Just a real act, even though she doesn't quite know why she does it. I still I still commend that. And then I do have to say, and I, I'm not pleased with myself about this, but I do hold a bit of a candle to um, <laughs> to um, Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates. Yeah. Um, and I can't explain it other than to say he can, you know, serve me sandwiches and milk. <laughs> it's the skeleton in the dress, day. isn't it? But... He's very in touch with his feminine side. And, um, He's got I, good, yeah, good cutlery, yeah. 
He's yeah. um I think he's he's there's something so alluring about him. He reminds me of Andrew Garfield actually. I think if there was God forbid if there was ever another psycho. There should be a shot for shot remake. They should I do. quite like the shot. I th- I think that's an interesting sort of art experiment, that the Gus Van Sant version. I don't think it's as Shouldn't have been Vince Vaughn. Andrew Garfield's a better shout. Andrew Garfield's great, but or no. Toby Maguire, that would have been good. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um but no, I I um I just think it's wonderful and what a ballsy film to do something that that groundbreaking in its storytelling yeah. that again he just executes so ambitiously and it works so so well um it changed it changed everything yeah. i think in terms of it, it it was just groundbreaking in terms of storytelling that's why that's why it led for me one of the few pieces of trivia i know about psycho is it's the first film that features a toilet flushing isn't it in the bedroom in the, no it's in the shower scene. she's trying to get rid of the evidence isn't yeah, she? she's yeah. done the sums yeah Okay, um, number two, North by Northwest. Yeah. It's the most fun one. That, that and Lady Vanishes are, are fun, aren't they? And sorry, and uh, 39 uh, Steps. Steps. Yeah, they're the, yeah. Most, the most easily enjoyable of the films. Absolutely. Aren't they? It yeah. is stunning as well, the cinematography on that and all the kind yeah. of aerial shots of um, New York. Is it mostly set in New York? beginning is yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but all the, the beautiful shots of the architecture as well and and um, it's really handsomely crafted the only thing I like least about this film is Cary Grant and I'm sorry I keep coming after him I know you love him but that's that's that was the, the weakest part for me Go on, his, his drunk driving acting is, <laughs> oh, yeah. is astonishing yeah. well was there any goes to a, a hospital um, room and um there's a lady with her glasses and he has to do this kind of naff, like, ah, that's not going to translate very well in a, in a podcast whatsoever. But <laughs> he's so corny. It's great. It's so much fun and it's so sweeping. It just feels like a real, really satisfying like adventure. Just ending on Mount Rushmore is like, yeah. come on. And that, so again, cool. that's another Hitchcock trope, isn't it? Ending your film on a big national monument. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of films. There's a lot of films. That also, like that. Uh, quite a clear influence on the Bond films, I think, North by Northwest. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and in many ways... Well, I say many ways because I've mentioned this before, and I just got a blank looks. But I feel like it's almost like the story of a Bond, a, a Bond film, where even Marie Saint's character is kind of the secret agent. She's the she's the Bond character, okay. and Cary Grant is like the Bond girl. And so it's it's a kind of Bond film from the girl's point of view, except Cary Grant is playing the girl. Does that make sense? That's amazing. <laughs> well, what a fantastic insight. How great is that? Yeah, I, I like that. I like yeah. that very much. Yeah. <laughs> so number one. 39 points, which I means I think everybody put it either number one, one for every step. or number two, <laughs> is... Is it... Vertigo. Um, Waltz it's from Vertigo. <laughs> is Vertigo, He's yes. setting up for... Yeah. A... Again, Nick, uh, Nick, Nick what, just can we sum up about the brilliance of Vertigo? It's hard to sum up because, like I said, like it just... It's it feels different every time I go back and revisit it. I spot something new. It's hard to pin down even to a genre. Like, is it a thriller? Is it a romance? Is it? Uh, it's weird. It's a strange film. I love it. The the poster. I it was one of the first film posters I bought. There's just something so yeah. cool, and it just feels deep and and yeah. like endlessly kind of fascinating. So I guess the the, yeah. the poster is Saul Bass, isn't it? Saul Bass. Yeah. yeah. I think like all, I Saul had Bass. the poster. I think all of us at one stage had that poster <laughs> yeah. somewhere. But um, it's just such a wonderful character study, isn't it? It's not quite the naughty thriller that a lot of his others are. It's it's deeply sad and um, yeah. f- everyone in that film is just Melancholy. So sad. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. sort of a detective uh, kind of, it's got a great mystery but it's not really so much about the mystery it's about the mood of the, the film and the, the setting and just this sets it up as a movie detective but then he just becomes obsessed and, and drawn into this strange thing and it's, it was way ahead of its time I thought. 
Yeah. It's also a little bit of a film about filmmaking again because he's the Gavin Esler character is a kind of slightly sick and twisted director who's manipulating his actors who are Jimmy Stewart's character and um Kim Novak's character and and you feel like Hitchcock totally saw that he was creating some kind of double layer stuff there. And I think it's just it's just tragic and twisted and just kind of gruesome in all the best ways. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think it didn't do so well when it first came out? Because it really, people were very yeah, unimpressed. They just weren't ready for it. They clearly yeah. weren't. Yeah. And is that, so that's our top ten. What do we think? Are we, are we, is there obvious things that are missing? What do we think about that? No, I'm pleased with that. Rape, list, rape forever. <laughs> it's a good top ten, but it doesn't have foreign correspondence. It's <laughs> <laughs> very disappointing. It nearly did. In the universe, it did. <laughs> I, would, I would have liked the birds to have been higher. Um, you bird haters. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm very content. Well, guys, that's fantastic stuff. Thank you so much. And um, I'm going to go off for a shower. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> right. And that was the Alfred Hitchcock episode of The Ranking. The next episode will either be the MCU two-parter or the films of Quentin Tarantino. How exciting. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.